The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane. You can find me on Twitter at the real Mark Lane, find Sean Martin, uh, my co-host, at Sean Martin NFL, Dallas. They prevail, uh, you know, pretty much. We knew they would, but forty-nine to seventeen. There you go, another blowout for Dallas. And so, Sean, you know, I gotta kick it to you. Um, I mean, was this blowout what the team needed? I think it absolutely was. You know, great to be back with you, Mark. We of course got to open this season with talking about a forty to nothing win against the Giants and what we thought that might mean for the rest of the season. There's been more ups and downs from that point on than we expected after the night that was week one, Sunday night at the Giant Air Conditioner near my home state of New Jersey. But yeah, right back to business for the Cowboys in divisional play. After that tough loss to the Eagles, right back to business in terms of handling the Giants in particular. 40 to nothing in week one, 49, 17. Even the New Jersey public score to case can tell you the, tell you the math adds up to a season series win of 89 to 17. I mean, that really is what this team needed. It, you know, all week it was almost Cowboys versus Cowboys in the media. It, it was more, you know, just a faceless type of Giants team. It's not Eli Manning. It's not Daniel Jones. You know, I, I know I'm reaching quite a far back there to bring up Eli Manning, but that's who I think of when I think good Giants-Cowboys games, but it's not Eli, it's not Daniel Jones, it's not any type of competition you're used to seeing. It's, you know, UDFA making his first start, Tommy DeVito. So that sets the stage for, you know, this game is going to be about showing signs of progress in some some very specific areas that we've wanted to see from this Cowboys team, and I think they checked pretty much all of those boxes. I mean, a dominant pass offense that spread the ball around, Brandon Cook's getting more involved. That was a nice thing to check off. Jake Ferguson continuing his hot streak. Of course, C.D. Lamb continuing to, you know, a hot streak doesn't even put it, do it justice. C.D. Lamb continuing to take over every single football game he shows up for at a rate that, you know, broke NFL records from AT&T Stadium on Sunday. So offense firing on all cylinders to really give the Giants no hope in this game. And then the cherry on top was in the defense, not having any lapses against DeVito, not letting any of these Giants receivers kind of give him an easy target to potentially move the ball a little bit, not letting Saquon Barkley get going on the ground. They've really stood up against the run pretty well in these last couple of weeks, and that's been an ongoing storyline for them. So 
Of course, we know this pattern at this point. We know that this blowout win doesn't tell you anything about how they might go from here. You know, we're looking ahead to a Panthers game next week that projects in a similar way. But long term, we have no idea what this win is going to mean. But it's in the books as another season sweep of the Giants. And that's certainly a good point to be at. And dare I say, this is a game that, for me personally, built some trust in the Mike McCarthy offense. I mean, I don't know if it's too late to be saying that. So that's your caveat for you know, why I shouldn't be talking about this in the first place. But yeah, I think this is a game where you saw sustainability from this offense. You saw a sense of direction that this can be the offense that gets you where you want to go, which is more than just Jerry speak or McCarthy speak on the radio. This is a legitimate, you know, offense that put Dak Prescott in the MVP conversation. And if, of course, he gets the complimentary effort from the defense that they were able to put in, you know, this team can still accomplish a whole lot this season looking ahead to the next Eagles game. What this game did was it just kind of, you know, showed that uh, what really good teams do is they do kind of, you know, humiliate the, uh, the con- you know, the lower level competition. Um, and sometimes you would see Dallas teams of the past, they would have trouble you know, or play down to the level of competition. That's the one thing I can say with confidence about this particular bunch is they don't play down to the level of competition. They really don't play with their food too much. They just kind of dispense it and, you know, throw the bowl up against the wall. Um, and that's kind of, that's what they did against the Giants, so from a team perspective, yeah, that's great team building. From a fan perspective, this has already been proven, so I don't know that anybody's going to feel confident based on that from a spectator standpoint. Yeah, particularly, you know, the spectators at home have certainly gotten a treat this year. The Cowboys' last home regular season loss was that season opener against the Bucks a season ago, and they're outscoring their opponents this year from AT&T Stadium 160 to 50. So, you know, certainly you've gotten your bang for the buck if uh, you've been able to attend the game at AT&T Stadium like I did against the Rams, or, you know, even just watching, of course, at home to see them play this well in front of the home crowd. You know, Brandon Cooks' touchdown was on the opposite side of the field, but eerily similar to the home touchdown he scored against the Rams the last time the Cowboys were at home in the other corner of the end zone. So they've gotten that route going. They found a way to get him involved downfield. And, you know, I see what you're saying about, again, the sustainability of this team. But, uh, you know, I don't think we, we have that question about the defense. Yeah, they have their hiccups here and there. And when they don't get turnovers, they, you know, get exposed a little bit in certain areas. Or there's still some penalties to clean up. You know, I wanted to talk well about the interior just defensive line today. And we still can. And overall, they, the last couple of games, they really have been strong in that area. It's been under the radar, but they've held up well, but then you had Oso Digizua commit a holding penalty and Neville Gallimore with the silly uh, personal foul, but yeah, still the body of work for this defensive line speaks for itself, in particular the tackles are, I think, sewing up and playing well on my observation the last couple of weeks, but yeah, if you're already at that point with the defense, and like I said off the top, I'm getting there with this offense thinking that they actually have something here with McCarthy and Schottenheimer, you know, sewing some sustainability, and yeah, the only question becomes, you know, can they do it on the road and can they do it against the top competition, which is coming in just a few short weeks here. No, 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 no. Let's go ahead and get into tackle talk. 
if you will. Sure, yeah. I just think, like, I see, you know, a lot of the questioning on this defense is, oh, are they tough? And it's a lot of arbitrary, you know, eye test type stuff. Like, oh, can they hold up against these physical run teams? Do they have the toughness themselves? You know, can they do it when they when a team plays them in a phone booth and doesn't allow them to line up in these exotic looks where, you know, there's no linebackers on the field and safeties are buzzing everywhere and Parsons is playing five different spots before this ball gets snaps. And, you know, can they exist when they're not allowed to do these things and they just have to line up in a base defense? I hate using the term base defense in today's NFL talking about it because, you know, basically a nickel type look is your base. But can they line up in what's as close to a Dan Quinn base as possible and still be efficient? And the answer to that starts on the interior, I think. It starts with guys, like I said, Osa Diguzua, Neville Gallimore, Mozzie Smith has flashed a little bit. More and more as the season has gone on. Jonathan Hankins made a big play in this game. And overall, they were effective against Saquon Barkley, who was really going to be you know, the only guy the Giants trusted to carry the ball as they haven't wanted Tommy DeVito to sit back there and take too many shots. He still did, but yeah, they wanted to turn around and hand the ball to Saquon. They did, and it was ineffective thanks to this group. So yeah, these defensive tackles are coming along, and I think that's the sign that you look for in terms of is this a physical enough defense? Can they hold up you know, against these physical run teams? Can they set the tone from the inside out? Can they hold up at the line of scrimmage? Those guys are doing that right now. That's what makes kind of the Mozzie Smith pick interesting when you go back and look at the offseason is would you have still kind of made that move given how good Oso Diggy Ju was playing? You know, um, and that is an area where, you know, Dallas has done well uh, with Dan Quinn, an area where, you know, the past 10 years, really going back to Jay Ratliff kind of, uh, they kind of struggled, and that was identifying defensive tackle talent. But, I mean, they've done a good job under Quinn. I'm about ready to apply that logic you just said there to why do you draft a Luke Sumaker if Jake Ferguson was going to play this well? Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but that, no, but maybe that's it. You do it to foment competition. Okay, Jason, give it. But um, look, I mean, we'll have to run the numbers on after we get a full season of McCarthy and Schottenheimer on you know how many two tight end sets they've used and if they were effective in it. You know, certainly without Cavante Turpin today, we were almost having to plan on coming on here and talking about a really negative type connotation game for Michael Gallup. I mean, the most the weeks leading into this game, we clearly saw that he's been losing snaps to Jalen Tolbert and what that means for the offense. And then in this game, it was seemingly he was losing snaps to seventh-round rookie Jalen Brooks. So it was about to be a very negative aspect for Michael Gallup, but he more than made up for it by making two big catches, none bigger than the 41-yard uh, touchdown, excuse me. So the long touchdown to Gallup was really a cherry on top for you know, like you said, the topic that we opened with you in terms of Cowboys versus Cowboys this week, as faceless of a divisional opponent as you're ever going to see, can you improve on the things that we've been begging you to improve on and getting Gallup involved in a deep shot like that? I mean, that was just awesome to see, not only for him, for Prescott, but just this total picture of was this a perfect Cowboys win or as close to it as you can expect? And that's one snapshot that shows that it absolutely was. Yes, because everybody was able to shake off the, uh, you know, just the the filth from Philadelphia. You know, everybody was able to do that on both sides of the ball. 
Yeah, you think, I mean, you don't want to look too far ahead but uh, as a team, but we're certainly allowed to as podcast hosts. I mean, do you think this team is ready to see Philadelphia at home on a Sunday night or what? They're playing so well at home. They have a runway of games, of you know, winnable games like this to lead into it and keep their roster healthy, we hope, and all these things that are setting up nicely for them. I mean, how ready do you think that this team is to, to go see Philadelphia again? Of course, the Eagles have their own opportunity to change that tenor because they played the Chiefs in, in Buffalo, and you know if they win those games, both of them, it would be a surprise for many Cowboys fans that are expecting to play themselves back in the division, but it would certainly also change the tune of how worried you are about Philadelphia coming to AT&T Stadium. But nonetheless, with this performance against the Giants being the most fresh thing in our minds. I mean, how ready is this team to try to avenge that loss? That's going to be so much fun. Oh, they're ready. They're definitely ready. But, you know, will they? what kind of health will they have when they get there? And one question that I have for you, really specific, but still, do you think that they kept Dak in too long? Because he took that shot from Dexter Lawrence late in the third quarter, you know, hanging in there for that deep ball. It was just like, really? I mean, was it worth all that to get Dak, you know, uh, Bruce Sarnum so he can get 400 yards? I've seen Mike McDaniel pull his quarterbacks, you know, early in the third quarter when he's blowing teams out. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, Dak Prescott for 74.3% completion percentage in this game. That's 26 of 35 with an average of 11.5 yards per attempt. I mean, I think that tells you all you need to know in terms of you probably saw enough from Prescott earlier earlier than when he did get pulled to take him out. So I'm with you on, you know, certainly it was great to see him buzzing and you almost toying with the Giants at a certain point and, you know, some game and sit between McCarthy and Brian Dable could come into play, but yeah, I think you proved a point of, you know, we want to sell this offense is sustainable and McCarthy's heard off to, well, it's getting late and, you know, it's not early season anymore. We should be asking you these things. It shouldn't be growing pains. Well, it certainly wasn't against the Giants, but you proved that point earlier than when Prescott was still taking unnecessary hits. And, like, you look good in every phase of the game. I mean, there was some, like, vintage almost dare I say, rookie season Dak throws in this game when the pocket was moving and it was an easy rollout, easy read, and you hit a guy with Cooks on the move and he turns it upfield. I mean, that was clicking for you. The deep ball was going to take focus and connects and continues to be incredible. So, yeah, I don't know what more you needed to see from Prescott over a body of work where the game was over by halftime. But, yeah, I could have done it for a little less of him, certainly. But, yeah, at the Giants' expense, they had some fun and they kept him in there and you know, he had one of the best games of his career statistically. Yeah, he did. Like, he was going against air almost uh, on some of those throws. It was a very, uh, you know, coming out of halftime, the Fox broadcast was trying to think of their talking points. You know, usually the script is pretty formulaic. You know, here's what the Cowboys locker room said. Here's what the Giants said. And I think it was both Tom Rinaldi who said, look, Brian Dable didn't have much to say to me. You know, He's been a part of a lot of the games like this this year, and he knew this one could go this way, but still disappointing. And then Aaron Andrews followed up on it with the connection between him and defensive coordinator Wink Martindale trying to certainly work out some frustrations on you know, how this defense wasn't able to keep them in the game. But that was a tall task against this Cowboys offense that has now put together some sustainable games. You know, the Eagles game, it was where was the sense of urgency? There was... They were still efficient. They were still moving the ball. They still stuck to their core concepts that worked. But there was just that final 
lack of a sense of urgency playing on the road that cost him the game on top of some late penalties in the sack allowed by Terrence Steele. And, you know, you didn't have to play for sense of urgency in this game. The score never dictated that, but they kind of manufactured it themselves and just played with the urgency of, you know, let's hit on everything we need to hit on. Let's connect on these deep balls. And they were connecting at, at a rate that was really beautiful to see. I mean, every contested catch was won by the Cowboys, the catch point, every touch throw by Dak was right where it needed to be. It was a work of art out there. Yeah, it was. And, you know, that's why you want to have that available later on in the, you know, throughout the season. Yeah. So at what point do you pull Dak? And I just felt like it was, uh, you know, they they should have pulled him a little earlier. But um, it was funny that both he and Cooper Rush threw a pick to the Giants. Yeah, that first interception, you know, came early enough in the game from Prescott where you at least slightly thinking, you know, here we go, and, you know, it's divisional, and did we overhype this game of how easy it was going to be, and nothing comes easy in the NFL, and you're ready to kind of buckle up and, and see where the game might go from there, but the defense was ready to answer the challenge and came up for fourth down stop. I cannot love more the shot of Tommy DeVito's family and the, the epic upbringing that went on of his dad in the stands proclaiming that's your fourth down play when they just handed it to Saquon, you know, not only wanting to see his son throw the ball perhaps there, but, you know, maybe some type of get the ball on the edge, RPO type action. Don't test this until you're the Cowboys defense, which, like I said, has been strong. But that's exactly what they did. And they came up short to make the interception just a mere footnote on such a great Dak Prescott game. But, yeah, that was an epic shot of the DeVito family reacting to, you know, the struggles that uh, their son was going to be in for. But nonetheless, you know, a good story for him to uh, be able to make the start and survive four quarters against the Dan Quinn defense. But at the end of the day, of course, it was Quinn's defense of another complimentary performance to the offense and this team playing exactly how they want to play in all three phases. Besides a couple of leverage penalties, what did they have at least two? So that was kind of weird for John Foster to have to address that they had multiple uh, leverage penalties on uh, field goals and extra points. But nonetheless, we're nitpicking and it's a clean game uh, all around. Yeah, I... The shots of the DeVito family throughout the game, they, they were funny because they also kind of represented just how I'm sure New York Giants fans feel in general. And Fox went to break with uh, some Bon Jovi for you. You know, I would like I've said, I would prefer Springsteen, but I know you're a Bon Jovi fan, so I can't complain about that. So other than it being after a Giants score, I'm sure you appreciated that. Yeah, I did. I heard that, and I was like, are they going to have any Springsteen ever? Well, DeVito couldn't uh, get them in scoring position enough to for them to break out any Springsteen. If Saquon had a big game, maybe you could have used some Born to Run. I'm trying to think what else makes sense on the fly here. Uh, you know, a little fun to road, all the classics. But yeah, Born to Run would make sense if the Giants' run game got going, but was not going to be the case today. No, no, it's not. Um, all right, so one element that the Giants use that had some effect against the Cowboys offense was when they used zone coverage in the passing game. And so as we project forward, do you think teams are going to use more zone coverage to try to stop the Cowboys passing attack? I love when questions like this pop up on the rundown and we get to just kind of really dive into this stuff and, you know, get to see your observations on the all-22 view type of perspective on this team. I don't think teams are 
going to have that much success being able to consistently zone this Cowboys team. First and foremost, the Prescott to Jake Ferguson connection, I think, would be your best you know, counteract to that. They've been on an incredible stretch here. Yet another touchdown set up by play action. In this game, his third straight game with a score. I know going all the way back to the offseason, one of the things you were kind of quietly concerned about was this team not having enough to replace Dalton Schultz and sleeping on just how much Dalton Schultz meant to this team. Well, he only ever had touchdowns in two consecutive games. Now, it was three touchdowns because one of them he had two, but still scores in two consecutive games. Ferguson stood it in three, no sign in sight that you know they can't go do it against the Panthers and keep this streak going. He's been incredible. But yeah, I don't think that you can zone this Cowboys team too much and have success. You know, Yeah, you can limit the big plays and the soft plays to Cooks and I am, and that's absolutely what you need to do if you don't want them to run away with these 40, 50-point type performances. But the checkdown type throws are going to be there. They were there against the Eagles, and they just lacked the finishing ability. So they can learn from that game if teams want to play more zone, just like the Eagles tend to do at times. So, yeah, I don't think that this is a Mike McCarthy offense that you can play a whole lot of zone against. You don't want to go even man coverage against the more pre-snap motion they're starting to sell like they did in this game either. So, you know, the right mix is what you need to slow down this Cowboys offense. You need, you know, pressure, of course, and simulated pressures and creating a murky image in the middle of the field, which is what Dan Quinn's whole MO is about. But if you do so against Prescott, he's also seemingly struggled against those types of arcs. We're just playing a straight drop zone with the way he's dialed in, throwing the ball not only Ferguson, but any of these receivers. I don't see that working out too well. Plus, you're practically inviting the team to run the ball, which I know at times the Cowboys have shown that they can't run the ball even when they're supposed to be able to or when the defense is playing soft. But in this game, there was some inkling of, you know, Rico Dowdle getting more involved, Tony Pollard making some splashes here and there. So I know it's late in the season to still be talking about wanting to see more from the run game. That's not a great sign that we actually are going to see more. But at least the, the idea of this run game improving is still up for grabs. And if you play zone, Rico Dowdle so that he can potentially punish you that way. So this team has answers against both man and zone. And it's going to take, you know, a very dialed in defensive uh, game plan from any of these teams coming up to be able to slow it down, it seems. Speaking of that run game, they had a 5.1 yards per carry. That's not too shabby. And I like how both touchdowns to um, was Ferguson and I believe the um, the handoff to I am. You know, we scored so many touchdowns, I'm forgetting where, when and where they all happened. But yeah, the Ferguson pass, play action touchdown, and then I am were both set up against you know, with fakes to Tony Pollard on types of plays that defenses you can tell still expect, you know, Tony Pollard to be able to make a big play on, you know, teams aren't afraid of Tony Pollard running up the middle. That's where Rico Dowdle made his gains in this game. And if you're going to fake it to Pollard up the middle, to me, that doesn't do a whole lot, but the outside zone type stuff. Yeah. You saw vehemently from the Giants, they were still worried about those types of plays. You faked it to him on the outside where he can get the speed going and the whole defense is flowing that way, you get an easy touchdown to Ferguson. You fake it to him on the left side again, hand the ball off the other way to another speedster and see the lamb, and he walks it to the end zone. So they're starting to show the idea that, you know, they understand the plays that suit Pollard best. They understand what suits Dowdle the best. And slowly but surely getting back to that Pollard slash Ezekiel Elliott tandem that you had. It's not quite the same, but the Pollard-Dowdle tandem is something to keep an eye on for, you know, more even contributions from the two of them and what that could mean for the totality of this run game. Well, in 
2010, which was when Mike McCarthy won the Super Bowl with the Packers. They didn't get their run game figured out. Or, you know, the back, uh, James Starks. That was when he came in, was in December, to help with injuries. And so, you know, it may be like that for Dallas. They may not get the run game figured out until December. Well, that's the right time to be peaking as an offense. And, you know, we're on the hinges of, uh, you know, this team playing meaningful football in December coming up here. So, you know, of course, these, the rest of this November stretch matters. And you got Thanksgiving, which is important in there and all these things. But, you know, this month is about setting up this team still playing very meaningful football in December. And they're taking every step needed so far with these November games to show that they can do so. And steady signs of progress in the run game is a great way to not have to have Dak Prescott dropping back, throwing at this ridiculous volume that he's been efficient in. But, you know, what happens when you're playing on the road? What happens when you get in a cold weather game or an elements game? Is the run game going to be there? And, you know, we can't confirm that. We can't definitively say it is just because you ran over the Giants a bit here at their expense. But you can at least, you know, dream and hope that the run game is going to continue to build from here to the point where if they do get in one of those December games, it's not just this fantasy that they're going to be able to run the ball. They have, you know, a body of work that shows that they actually can and have effectively before. And one place where they can show that, uh, you know, the run game is sustainable is against the Carolina Panthers, who they face next week. Yeah, this one's interesting. There was some rumblings uh, this week. Diana Rossini um, with The Athletic and ESPN put out a story about kind of What's happening at Panthers ownership? You, you of course have Bryce Young seemingly going through, you know, his number one overall pick struggles, and then you have the contrast of C.J. Stroud, as you would know better than anybody, with the Texans just absolutely dominating and getting a win on Sunday on the road at the Bengals for game-winning drive. So he's been sensational. Safe to say that Panthers ownership not happy with that dynamic of how things have played out so far. Just to read some quotes from, uh, you know, Rossini's article and how things have come out. I'm told the message in the building is, quote, ownership needs to see more progress in offense. There needs to be development and improvement. If the second half of the season looks like the first half for the Panthers, I expect Carolina to make changes. I've learned that those in power want to start seeing an offense that looks like what Young executed to precision at Alabama, which includes bubbles, RPOs, things that lean into his strengths. Ownership is satisfied with the defense and special teams. So this is everything Trap game is a word too far. I'm not going to use that term, but this is everything of, you know, don't start slow at your own peril if you don't want four quarters of a dogfight if you're Dallas. Desperate Carolina team, not much to play for, trying to play for ownership to show that they're making progress. What more would an owner like than a win against the Cowboys? I mean, it, and you notice know too, it doesn't matter if the Cowboys are coming into this game six and three like they are, or they could be three and six. We'd still be saying the same damn thing about. Oh, if the Panthers ownership isn't happy, then surely beating the Cowboys would mean a lot. So the fact that the Cowboys have a winning record just adds to that. And yeah, it certainly seems that they're ready to pull out some stops on offense and some counter looks to, you know, what Dan Quinn's defense is doing. They'll have to just get the pass rush going and, you know, squash that right there. The best way to defuse any offense that's trying something new is just get after the quarterback and blow some of these plays up, which is what this Dallas defense does best anyway. But yeah, Carolina team, extra rest. They played Thursday this last week against the Bears. Former Cowboys coach Matt Eberflus gets the win there. 
for Chicago. So, you know, just on the scoreboard, doesn't seem like we have a lot to worry about when it comes to this Panthers team. But they're well-rested. They're playing at home. Early kickoff for the Cowboys. And there's some turmoil in what they need to show on offense, meaning that they could really play loose, pull out all the stops, and try to get this win. So it could be an interesting game, or it could be one where we finally say the Cowboys not played well against a good team, we're still waiting on that, but played well in the sense of, you know, got past a different type of test and checked a different box and answered some different questions compared to the questions we had for them coming into this Giants game. Yeah, I'm surprised that uh, Carolina looks so flat just from a being a Frank Reich coach team, you know, because the Colts were always scrappers. Yeah, when you can't pass protect, I mean, the, a season, with a rookie quarterback, the season can really just go off the rails fast, and I think that's what's failed them the most. I mean, certainly we'll all dive into the numbers on the Panthers more and have a clearer picture. We get into the week. I do my opponent preview every week at bloggingtheboys.com, and we have so much other content that it gets you through on you know, what your opponent is, and Carolina's not that familiar of an opponent. So some extra work at hand and learning who this team is. But, yeah, Frank Reich is a good coach. He wants to show that there's a sign of progress. And, like I said, no better way to do so than playing well against a really stout defense like this Cowboys team. But they're going to turn on the film and not see a whole lot of answers just based on how what the Dallas defense just put on tape against the Giants. You're going to see those stout defensive tackles like I talked about. You're going to see a game where Micah Parsons was quiet and the pass rush was still effective. I mean, Talk about when was the time to pull Dak Prescott. Well, Parsons practically just, while still being out there, you know, NBA style, built himself a day off and just kind of played at half speed. And that was good enough, it seemed, at times. But the rest of the pass rush got going too. So going to be an interesting week at Carolina to see, you know, what they can come up with against this defense. And if the Cowboys offense is ready to put up anything close to 49 points they did against the Giants or the 40 points they put on them in week one this game could go a similar type of way. All right, let's go ahead and get to the Cowboys' birthdays here this week. Um, we start on Wednesday. Larry Cole played defensive tackle, turned 77 years old. He's with the Cowboys from 68 to 80, so he was a member of Doomsday 1 and Doomsday 2. On Saturday, uh, Raghav Ishmael, Rocket Ishmael, uh, played receiver for Dallas from 99 to 2001. Turns 54 on Saturday from Elizabeth, New Jersey, Sean. Yeah, way up in the north part of the state. I actually didn't know that. It's always cool when you can bring a player into this list that I end up learning as a former Cowboy great that is from New Jersey. So that's certainly cool. I guess we have some good wide receiver history for this team. Miles Austin, Drew Pearson, Rocket Ismail. The list goes on, but that's certainly cool to see. And it always feels like when you turn on like an old school throwback quarterback highlight and it's like Troy Aikman, Mastin together with, you know, Montana's and Marino and what have you. It always seems like the highlight they pick for that just shows off Aikman's arm. A lot of the times it's a deep ball to Ismail just because he was, you know, a speedster and pulled off all of those deep balls into big spots. So whenever you see like a Troy Aikman highlight, you can always count on uh, reminding yourself that Rocket Ismail was a playmaker as well. Yeah, he caught a deep ball in overtime. Week one against Washington that uh, yep. sent the Cowboys home 1-0 to start the year. And uh, that was the first year uh, that Dan Snyder was the owner in Washington as well. So it got off to a uh, tumultuous start and it ended in epic fashion as well. Yeah, 
definitely. What happened on the Zach Wilson play? I'm sorry. As our as our listeners know, we keep Sunday Night Football on in the background of recording these shows. At least I do. But I mean, I wasn't full, fully paying attention because we're recording the show, of course. But I'm so confused right now. They showed like an epic Zach Wilson, like ran down the sideline, full on nose dove into the end zone at the pylon. At the very least, like the ball was at the one. And then I came back to my stats and notes here. And now the Jets had the ball at the 10. So I did like got sacked or it wasn't a touchdown, but either way, disappointing for Zach Wilson because that was, that was a really cool highlight. He like went flying through the air and scored a touchdown and Rodgers was all fired up. Man. Sounds like a Madden glitch. Now, we, now, now he's just the love of Max Cosby or so and chasing after him. So, you know, not great. But all my Giants fans friends are fully in tank uh, on mode now. Just if that wasn't obvious. Uh, they are fully talking about Caleb Williams and what have you in the group chat. So, uh, Good job, Cowboys, to uh, you know, put that nail in the coffin of the Giants' season. All right. Um, let's go ahead and get to our triangles of triumph. I'm going to start with – mine's pretty traditional until we get to my you know, third leg. I always like to go a little bit off. But I'm going to go with Michael Gallup on the offense. It was so great to see him have that long touchdown. You know, Of course, see the Lion was the main target and priority in this game. He's deserving and hopefully makes you a triangle as he became – First receiver in NFL history with three consecutive games where you have 10 catches and 150 yards. So he's been absolutely dominant. What more can you say about him? But as he's opened up other throws to guys like Brandon Cooks, Gallup has still found a way to make plays, and it's been hard for him to see the field as guys like Tolbert and in this game, Jalen Brooks, continue to take some snaps from him. But you can always count on Gallup as like a scramble drill, clutch play type of guy, jump ball, he'll win it for you. And he did just that, scored a long touchdown and help add to this game being a runaway. On defense, there's so many you can pick, but I'm going to go with Deron Bland. He got his hands on another interception. It continues to be a magnet for the football. In the secondary, that doesn't have Trayvon Diggs for the rest of the year. You know, Giants had some talent at receiver coming into this game. Guys like Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard. Those guys are the first people you look at when it comes to who needs to elevate their play to give Tommy DeVito any chance. Well, it would be the receivers, but... Guys like Bland made sure that wasn't going to happen and locked it down in the secondary while the pass rush did its thing up front. And Bland comes away with a nice interception where he was beat for a bit, recovered on the play, and used that speed, that finishing ability to um, you know, continue to be a standout in Dan Quinn's defense. And I'm sure you'll appreciate this one as well. So my third piece of the triangle, shout out to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. Their Facebook page is what uh, alerted me to this one. But Tom Silver East, which is a High school in Ocean County, New Jersey, has a teacher named April Forey, and she got to, I don't know the exact circumstances, but she got to be a part of the football coaching staff here at the end of the year. It was state sectional final this weekend, so I'm not quite sure if East was playing in a sectional final, or if this was just kind of a retroactive thing that the Football Hall of Fame is just now posting about. But either way, April Forey joined the Tom River East football coaching staff, became the first female in Sewer Conference history. Sewer Conference is Monmouth in Ocean County, which is where I spent pretty much all my time covering high school sports, getting my start in this industry, all those things growing up. Monmouth in Ocean County, Thomas River East coach April Forey makes history for the conference, for Tom's River schools, which are all very big schools and have, you know, big alumni bases, who I'm sure very proud to see that. And, uh, you know, East has a great facility, a great football field, great Basketball area, everything about that school athletically is uh, up to par and a great place to see a game and 
the football team got to make history thanks to having a female coach there on the sidelines. So that was really cool to see. Yeah, that definitely is really cool. So what is your triangle of triumph? You're leaving us hanging, man. All right, so my triangles of triumph, Deuce Vaughn, he had a catch for 11 yards, and he had, he ran and lost two yards. But <laughs> That annoyed Kevin Burkhardt to no end because the Cowboys had 600 yards of total offense, and then they fell below it on that carry. He was available for three punt returns for nine yards uh, and also a fair catch. So he was able to get in there and uh, replace replace um, Cavante Turpin. So I give him my triangle of triumph on offense. And then I'm going to go with Neville Gallimore. He's my triangle of triumph because uh, he got, you know, three tackles, a sack. But he got thrown out of the game, too. Well, yeah. Anytime you go to the showers early, you might be doing something right. I don't know if that's quite the edge that the Cowboys want him to play with. You know, I, I was considering putting Gallimore in there as well just to continue to highlight the strong play from the defensive interior. But yeah, when you're kicking and posing off its alignment, to me, that's a disqualification from the triangle. And uh, then I'm gonna actually going to go with Randy Bullock from the Giants because, you know, to be – at his stage in his career, and to still have the physique that he does, uh, and still kicking it, hey, you know, good good luck to you. Man, I think we got to send you to the Sourzilli for putting an opposing player in the triangle. I didn't know that was allowed. It should have that always should have not be allowed. It's just something you shouldn't do. But uh, no, I do respect that point on Bullock. And like I said to you and Giants fans that I talked to alike, I mean, don't, don't well, you I miss mean, the days I... when these games were closer? Though I mean, we've had a lot of fun right here. That's but... what I mean. I mean. It's like, almost like a pity triangle. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he'd appreciate that. we got to make like an actual trophy at some point and, you know, a little bronze triangle and uh, have the, you know, I know I know you have contacts out there, have the Fox crew and whoever's doing the Cowboys game. It's seemingly been Burker and Olsen all year, you know, deliver the triangle to the players we actually want to give it to. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, it would. Um, yeah, and like you said, I mean, just the trash talk, I mean, used to be uh, legendary between these two fan bases. But, uh, you know, it it, it really kind of happened when Eli was still quarterback. Like, they fell off the cliff in about 2014. And it's just not been the same. Oh, yeah, I used to fear those Eli games like nothing else, man. I mean, there was nothing worse than going into school and after a loss to him and everybody wearing the number 10 Manning jerseys. You know, that was back when they were wearing a throwback, like – Reebok jerseys that were like a different shade of blue. They were like such a, they were just that dark, like vibrant type blue that you just hate to see. You know, it's just an annoying shade of blue, and you have to walk around with everybody wearing those, and everyone saying that the Cowboys can't get it done. And there was always some boneheaded play, was which was the reason that we would lose here or there to uh, to the Giants. So yeah, it is good to be enjoying you know the other side of this with some blowout wins this year. But there is a small part of me that would like to see the Giants come back just a little bit in the competitive standard of what we think this rivalry can be. And, you know, right now, certainly the premier of the NFC East is Cowboys Eagles. And that's not going to change at any point this year, maybe in the next, but you know, down the line, we just like to see more dynamic rivalries than what we have now. But yeah, Cowboys Eagles will have to serve the appetite as we uh, look forward to that game after Thanksgiving. 
Philadelphia and Washington, honestly, for the good of the NFL, I'm, I'm talking about, the, you know, they can be trash forever. It's really embarrassing for the shield for the Giants to be where they are. It really is. But, you know, that's that's for someone else's podcast. That's some yardage that I don't care to get into. <laughs> well, in contrast, I know the Jets don't mean as much to the NFL's grand scheme, but they are still a New York market team. And, you know, they've, of course, had a, their struggles this year. So a lot of primetime games left for both teams, too. So no, no shortage of New York football in a bad spotlight being featured uh, the rest of the schedule. Oh. We get an early kick next week. We can, we could uh, sit down and record and have our Sunday wrapped up pretty early. That's always kind of fun. Oh yeah. I look forward to it. All right. So there it is. Yeah.